Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Well, one of my friends wrote on Facebook yesterday, maybe she should have whopped it on WhatsApp, but she said that the Christmas tree is up. I wonder what you think, is that too early? Christmas tree up, middle of November? I thought it was a bit too early myself, really. But Christmas is coming. I've been uh, sitting in Costa this week listening to uh, Christmas tunes. Uh, I've been reading the Bible with various students. And in between, uh, the silences in between, I've asked questions. You just hear this kind of Christmas tune catching in my ear. Uh, We've had the Carols by Candlelight uh, promo. And as Tim has said, we're going to be thinking about singing and Christmas songs uh, over the next uh, few weeks here at church. Uh, particularly looking at these uh, Christmas hits from Luke chapter 1 and 2. And my hope is, is that as we hear these, as we think about these, these might be the thoughts, these might be the lyrics that go around in our minds uh, as we come up uh, to Christmas. Uh, the songs that you're humming in your heads might be these uh, songs from God's word. And so as we come to look at this one uh, together, Mary's song, uh, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father God, we do want to thank you very much for speaking to us in your word. May we be people who take you at your word and believe what you say. Help us to trust you in all things, and may it bring joy and rejoicing to our hearts as we understand what it is you have to say to us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, songs do have a habit of getting into your mind, don't they? 
As you listen to a song and then you start humming the different tunes along with the songs that you've been listening to. I've been listening to Christmas songs this week and so I've heard myself singing and humming along to Jingle Bells, White Christmas. God rest you merry gentlemen. Somebody says that's their favourite Christmas hymn. And then they started singing and I started humming along thinking, oh yeah, it's a great one. One of the other ones that's got into my mind though has been Santa Claus is Coming to Town. That famous Christmas carol. Which is quite scary, actually, when you think about it. Do you know the lines which it says, He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You see, the problem with that song, there's a great, it gets into your mind, but the problem is, is we think that's how we relate to God often. We need to be good for goodness sake. But what we'll see from this song of Mary is, that is completely the opposite to how we actually should be relating to God. Mary says the complete opposite to that. And we'll see that is not how we should be thinking about our relationship with God. Now before we get into the song, remember that it comes as part of the annunciation to Mary that she was to have a child, a baby was to be born, a baby who wasn't just going to be any baby, but to be the saviour of the world. And the angel Gabriel appears to this young Jewish woman who's engaged to be married and tells her, you're the one who's going to have this child. This child who would sit on the historic throne of King David and sit on that throne forever and ever and ever. The child that she was to bear was to be great. The child would be called Jesus. Now, it's quite something, really. Now, we are told that she was a virgin. Nothing like this had ever happened before. And Mary wonders how such a thing could happen to her. And yet she believes the word which the angel brings to her. You see what she says in verse 38, just before the reading that we have. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In the reading that we've had today, Elizabeth reiterates that point. Do you remember Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, who herself was having a miraculous birth, And even though she is the older lady, she is the one who praises the younger Mary. She extols her and says in verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You see, this amazing word comes to Mary and Mary believes it. She takes God at his word. She has faith in God. And it's a remarkable thing. She actually stands in the story in contrast to her elder, Zechariah. You see, before the angel comes to visit Mary, he visits Zechariah, the religious man, a priest indeed. Zechariah is similarly told that there'd be a miraculous birth. This time his wife would have a baby in her old age. A baby who would then grow and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. But unlike Mary, this religious man, this respected man, doesn't believe God. And so he is struck dumb for the time of his wife's pregnancy. The devout religious man did not believe and so can't speak. And yet the young, humble woman, the young virgin Mary, takes God at his word, believes him. And then she pens what's traditionally been called the Magnificat, this great song of praise to God. 
She's not really the main theme of her song. You'll see that as you look down. God is the main theme of her song. She praises God for what he has done and who he is and what he's always been like. You see, the song has three main parts. We see in verses 46 to 49, this young woman of faith praises God for what he has done for her. Then in verses 50 to 53, she praises God for what he is like generally. That's a praise for the character of God. And then in verses 54 and 55, she praises God for his plan of salvation, which has always been the same. And if you were to summarize in a sentence what this song is here for, I think it would be something like this. It's to understand and rejoice in how God deals with people of humble faith and to encourage us to become people of humble faith. You see, if we understand these verses, if we understand how God deals with people, then we will rejoice. And not only will we rejoice, but we will want to be people of humble faith. And so we see, firstly, Mary rejoices because of what God has done for, for her. And we see that in verses 46 and 47, where she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. No, her soul, her spirit, her, her inner being is magnifying, making much of glorying in what God is like. The word re- rejoice there, it really, you could translate it as something like she is overjoyed in what God has done. Now imagine someone who's just full to bursting with praise because of what God's done for her. See, Mary rejoices because of what God has done. Bursting with joy because of God. Why is she bursting like that? Well, we'll see in a moment what that is like. And yet it's remarkable that she is fit to bursting with this news. Because think about the the nature of the news. She was to have a child. She praises God for that. Yet here was a young woman engaged to be married, about to have to go to her town, her family, her friends, and say to them, I'm having a baby. In that day and age, you can imagine the look of shock on her family and friends and neighbors' faces as she said that. You can imagine them maybe turning to Joseph and going, oh, Joseph. And Mary goes, oh, no, no, it's not Joseph's. Now, can you imagine the, 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 the suffering she might have to go through after that? The, the gossip, walking down the street and seeing people in the greengrocers talking behind their hands, walking past people as they shake their heads. In that time, she was to have a baby, and it wasn't even her fiancé's baby, and she wasn't even married. And yet, despite all the suffering, all the gossip, all the uh, hardships she might have to endure because of that, she praises God. She rejoices. She's fit to bursting with the news of what God has done for her. Why? Well, verse 48 shows us, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Here's the reason why Mary is rejoicing despite the difficult nature of the news because God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God has regarded her. God has chosen her, picked her out. She was to have a child. She goes on, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
And it is a mighty act, is it not, to put a child into the the womb of a young virgin. And Mary rejoices that she would have that baby, that she would be his mother. Despite all the difficulty it would bring, all the explaining she would have to undertake, all the gossip she would have to endure, she rejoices that she is to be a mother. That the child she was to bear would be the saviour of the world. And more than that, she rejoices in the way God has done it. Do you see how she describes herself? I think this is really important. Verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God has been mindful of her humble state. Not really talking about her attitude of mind. Talking to her status in life. She was someone of low status in life. Of low estate, as the King James puts it. She is, if you like, a nobody. She is a nobody and God has regarded her. God has done good things for her. He's taken notice of her. He regarded her, chose her, picked her out. Picked out someone who no one knew about. You see, Mary wasn't some kind of socialite invited to all the parties. She wasn't a celebrity continually in the newspapers. She didn't even have an important mum or dad. She was just Mary. Of low status and God regarded her, was mindful of her. He knew about her. And because of God's actions, we know about Mary. You see what Mary says? From now on, all generations will call me blessed. You see, if God hasn't done this for Mary, we would know nothing about her. As it is, we know very little about Mary. We don't know whether she had any brothers or sisters. We don't know anything about her parents and what they did. I guess in the normal course of life, she would have married Joseph. She may have had children. She may have worked hard to bring them up. And then she would have died and would have been buried. And her bones and her body would have rotted away. And within a few generations, no one would know anything about her. And yet here we are remembering Mary because God took a nobody and made her into a somebody. God gave her a name. God regarded her. And so we remember her. But you see, as Mary goes on, what we see is, is that is how God works. He exalts the humble, the poor, the hungry... While on the other end of the spectrum, he brings down those who are proud, the rulers and the rich. And you start to see how God starts to work in the completely the opposite way to how we think. See, that's the point Mary makes in verses 50 to 53. In these verses, she praises God for how he deals with people generally. See, God doesn't just remember the lowly Mary No, God's way of working is always to regard the poor, the humble, the lowly. Right through this section, that's what we see. God is concerned for people like Mary who are humble, who are low, and yet on the other hand brings down the rich and the proud. We see it three times in verses 50 to 53. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. God shows mercy to those who fear him, that is, those who honor him. On the other hand, verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. 
the proud person, the, the person who thinks that they are a somebody, that they have a, achieved something, God scatters them. In the Old Testament, as you read the Old Testament, you see that God scattering people is always a sign of his judgment. And the self-made man here is scattered. You see the reversal? You see the same thing in verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He brings down the powerful rulers off their thrones. Those at the the top of the pile are pulled down. Those who have made it, those who have power and influence, they are pulled down. Yet on the other hand, those who are humble are lifted up. The somebodies are brought down and made nobodies. Well, the nobodies are lifted up and made into somebodies. You see the same point in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You see, those who are hungry, those who have nothing, are given much by God. And yet those who have it all, the rich, are sent away empty. You see, these verses are are quite shocking really, aren't they? Because it goes against how we think the world works. And think about it a moment. Who, is, who do we think has made it in the world? And who, do you, who do you look up to? You might want to be like the celebrity. And those who've worked hard to make it in their particular field. We respect and admire those who've worked hard and made it to the top. I read in my newspaper and magazine yesterday of Lawrence Graff. Do people know Lawrence Graff? He was the, the head of uh, Graff Diamonds, one of the most glamorous jewel houses ever uh, it's ever been. He's, worth, he's a billionaire, I'm told. But the, the article told how he grew up in a, a working class part of East London, how he started as an apprentice in a, in a jewellery house at 15 and it got made redundant and then started working hard for himself and, and built up his business until he became one of the greatest people in the diamond industry ever. Now the article says this, it says, a good fortune seems always to have been on the cards for Graft, for Graf, but the hard work is always is the real hero of the story. It's inspiring to read of people like that, isn't it? And in many ways, we then aspire to be like people like that. Work hard and do well to make it in life. Well, at least that's what we teach our children. The world's your oyster. If you work hard, you can be anything you want in this world. You can become anybody you want. Nothing is going to hold you back other than yourself. You can achieve anything you want. I'm sure you've heard those kind of things before. And while it's certainly true, and there's a certain truth in that in the world, if we take that attitude into our relationship with God, well, we're putting ourselves on a collision course with God. You see, for the gospel tells us that we have nothing to offer to God. Rather, we stand in need of God's mercy. All have sinned. All have rejected God. All stand in need of him. And the only way we receive his blessing is by recognizing that and coming to him in humility. 
asking to be filled, asking for his mercy. And as Mary shows, he gives that mercy to those who come to him. You see, those who have nothing realize that they need something. It's not that they will always accept what they need. And yet they recognize they need something. They need mercy. You see, think about it a moment. Who do you show mercy to in life? You don't show mercy to someone who's achieved everything, do you? To the achiever, well, you don't show mercy. Rather, you give them awards or prizes or honorary positions or wages. Lawrence Graff got an OBE for his services to the jewellery industry. That's what he deserved because he'd done well. And yet God shows mercy. You see, if we think we have to work hard to earn God's favour, then we miss the point. Because God relates to those who have nothing and who come to him seeking mercy from him. He pulls down the proud, the rulers, the rich. It goes against how we think the world works. And you know, I think that's one reason why we find it so hard to tell people the gospel. Now, on the one hand, we look at people and think, well, they don't need anything. They've got it all. They've sorted life, and so they don't need this gospel. And yet the Bible shows us that all people are in need of God's mercy. And so we need to take the message of the gospel to all people. And then when we tell people the gospel, often they might say things like, well, your life's not perfect, but I quite like my life. No, life's not too bad. I don't think I, I'm in need of anything in this life. I've got a comfortable house. I've got my health and I'm using it well. I live in a beautiful place. The Peak District is like heaven on earth. Why would I want anything else? You see, we can believe the lie that we need to strive to succeed ourselves. And yet, Mary shows us that God shows mercy to those who are humble. God gives good things to those who have nothing. And we have nothing before God. As the Bible says a number of times, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God has always been like that. It's not as if God has is, is changed or God will change. You see what Mary says in verses 54 and 55? In these verses, she praises God for his unchanging plan. See verse 54? He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. To see that same word again? Why does he remember to be merciful? He remembers to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our forefathers. You see, God made great promises to Abraham 2,000 years before Mary had the angel visit her. Promises which shaped history since that point. God promised Abraham three great things, the last of which, that through one of Abraham's descendants, all people could find blessing. That child, that descendant, was then growing in Mary's womb as she wrote this song. God chose Abraham, who was a nobody at the time. And he is the same now. God promised to bless and to be merciful to Israel. 
but also to the whole world through the child who would be born. And so 2,000 years after Mary, God is still the same. He still promises to be merciful because of his promise, not because of what we've done. And if we come before him humble, then God will be merciful to us. God will lift us up. God will fill us with good things. And so we will rejoice like Mary. Like Mary who was humble and of low estate and yet received much from God. But if we think that we don't need God's mercy or that we can do it a different way, if we buy into the world's mantra of self-assertive, self-achievement, then we will end up without joy and without God. I remember a preacher once saying this little ditty. It's stuck in my mind ever since. He says, one ship goes east, one ship goes west, each by the self-same wind that blows. It's the set of the sails against the gales which determines which way the ship will go. How are you going to set your sails this year and this Christmas as you hear God's message? What will be your song that you sing Will you continue striving to achieve? Striving to make a name for yourself and so put yourself against God? Singing the song of your own achievements and your own goodness? Or will you, like Mary, recognize that you are of low estate, in need of mercy, poor and hungry before God, and so rejoice that he has regarded you that the child who was growing in Mary's womb came to die on the cross so that you can be free, so that you can have part of the inheritance, of God's inheritance, so that you can be his child. And see, one way leads to pain and destruction, the other leads to joy and salvation. And it's my hope and my prayer that you will sing this song, this song of joy, Mary's song, this Christmas as one who is full of joyful, humble faith, rejoicing that God has regarded you in sending his son to die on the cross and so that you'll be filled with joy, fit to bursting in God your saviour. Well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that so very often we think you will be pleased with all that we have done and that our relationship with you will be based on our achievements and our efforts and that you will reward us for those things. Would you help us to see that we have nothing to offer you for salvation? And may we be those then who come to you and be full of humble faith recognizing that you give us good things, not through our merit, but because of your mercy and love. Help us to learn the lesson we pray. And as we learn that lesson, help us to be those who love and care for the world in the same way, seeking to love them, not because of what we can receive in return, but seeking to love them so that we can show them the mercy and grace that you have shown us in Christ and speak of the Lord Jesus as well. 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.